0: to Midlife Down Under, the podcast all about supporting you through the mayhem of midlife. No subject is off limits, from the ups and downs of
1: parenting troubled teens to managing your midriff and losing your libido. This
0: week, our guest is Nikki Wicks, the author of World Kitchen and Cook, Eat, Enjoy. Nikki spent six years as food editor for Viva, the New Zealand Herald's magazine, and five years creating, testing and styling over 1,000 recipes each year for the New Zealand Woman's Weekly. In addition to that, Nikki contributes food-related content
1: and recipes for radio, magazines and television, so it's not surprising she's proud to say she's still immensely passionate about cooking.
0: Nikki lives by herself at a lovely batch and talks candidly about her single life and how she has finally found contentment, which led her to write her new book, A Quiet Kitchen. We'll be talking to her shortly, but first a quick catch-up on what's been happening in our midlife worlds recently. Lisa, what have you been up to?
1: Well, I feel like I've been really busy, but I don't feel like I've achieved an awful lot because sickness has plagued us. We had COVID at Easter and then various other bits and pieces, did a bit of travelling, lots of work and busy and went away to Australia, came back with tonsillitis. So, yeah, we've been a bit in the wars, really, in our house. Oh, that's, that doesn't sound too good. No, but I know you've been busy. You've got a new venture to tell us about.
0: I do, Lisa. Our new venture is, well, it's not just me. It's uh, two friends of mine as well, is a private walk on three farms up the Matahuru Valley. Um, we have played with the idea for a couple of months and we've really got into action and got things going. It's going to be fantastic. So it's a one-day walk or...? No, it's a two-night, two-day walk. Um, and we are offering beautiful food and uh, lovely comfortable beds to stay in after you walk. And are they very long the walks? The first day is about 5 hours but I mean they're leisurely, you know, we don't want you to be you know pounding to get to the next place it's a a relaxing and leisurely walk of about five hours the first day and about three hours the next day sounds fantastic can't
1: wait to uh, give that a try but you are so very busy and sometimes it just makes me think about
0: lockdown and i wish we could slow it all down again Yes, and then we'd be able to see more of Nikki Wicks's lockdown videos that she started during the first lockdown, which seems like ages ago now. You know, she was living all alone in her batch by the beach and she just decided to start making a video every day and I for one loved them. So that has got to be the first thing that we talked about when we interviewed her. Nikki, thank you so much for letting us come to see you today. I
2: really looked forward to those videos. Tell us a bit more about that. Well it's funny when people refer to the Instagram videos and I I, of course I still do them and even when I'm listening to you I always forget that people are going to watch them. (laughs) (laughs) So clearly I was just doing them for my own entertainment um which is not strictly true and I got beautiful comments through that time and I did do especially during the first lockdown I did a video a day for I think 76 days running because once I started I kind of quickly realized that I couldn't really stop it would be like leaving people in the lurch yeah everybody was in their little bubbles and I was in my bubble with my cat and I think that when we first got put into lockdown one of my ideas is I do love to help and I think I felt quite helpless as maybe a lot of people did But I sort of had this kind of mirthful thought where I thought, whoa, some people are going to really struggle in the kitchen because... What yeah. do I what am I gonna to cook tonight for dinner is a big deal in a family. Um, or if you're on your own or whatever, that's quite often a question that people struggle with, like, Oh, I can't think of anything to cook or whatever. So they'll either get takeaways or they'll go out for dinner or maybe they'll hash together something that they've made a million times and I thought, Wow, this is gonna get really old and really hard <laughs> in lockdown. So it really I thought, well that's never a that's never a dilemma for me in terms of what shall I cook for dinner tonight, I think about it around about lunchtime, I have a million ideas and it's about narrowing it down so that was one way that I really thought I could help people out with this because I've got ideas, I use pantry staples because I live rurally so I can't rock off and get the latest ingredient or whatever um, and I think that's where it started and for me it really held me steady during lockdown I've got to say doing those dailies. Um, I don't think I was really going to struggle anyway. I've had a lot of practice of being on my own. I've been single, you know, really most of my life. And so I think I was well set up for that. So what we found was that introverts and people who live on their own, for a lot of us, we actually found it quite glorious. It was a bit like, everybody else had to live like we lived and also you didn't feel bad that you weren't going out all the time because nobody was so actually I just I didn't struggle at all I loved it and hence the reason why I decided to write A Quiet Kitchen was because it was about the joy and the celebration of living alone rather than feeling as though that's some sort of tragic situation you found yourself in yeah.
1: did you always plan to include so much of yourself in that book because it's not just a cookbook is it?
2: Uh, I did actually so a lot of people came online and were like oh you should put this in a recipe book and over the years I've been asked to do another cookbook I've got two previous ones and for me putting a collection of recipes together wasn't that inspiring for me I think and I over the years People have more recently, people have reminded me that, oh, that's right. You wanted to write about a book about menopause ages ago and you wanted to write about giving up drinking. So I think for me, it was a real opportunity where I thought, how can I get all of that stuff in as well as delivering on the food? Because food is a big part of my life. It's a companion. It's a, you know, it's a a health choice for me. You know, I've solved various health issues by the food that I eat or don't eat. So, I think I was unconsciously and then consciously looking for a reason to write about all the other stuff as well. Yeah. And was that hard to do in the end? Or cathartic? It wasn't really. Oh, cathartic? Yes, maybe it was. Like, as soon as I'd finished the book, I was very. I sort of put it away or sent it to the publishers. And then every time I would get an edit back, I would let it sit there for ages because I was really nervous about rereading it. And the things I was nervous about was, is that really me? Um, have I overstated things or understated things? Have I been too open? They were niggles more than shout, shouting voices in my head. It was more a bit like, oh, is this okay? And then every time I picked it up to have to do another reread, I was like, ah, oh, that's good. And I'd put it away. And then it would go to someone else to read, to, you know, edit or whatever. And I'd think, oh, no, here we go again. So, and I felt, it, it, it feels as though it was sort of a letter to the world, about me but not just me but people who live like me which is on their own unmarried no children perfectly fine thanks don't worry about us so there was a there was a bit of that in there that was definitely cathartic and that I'd sort of laid it to rest I'd spoken about settling down with myself I had decided to own my life situation which I was in my private life and then I I guess just being a bit more public about it Yeah, does that make sense? Oh, it does.
0: And (laughs) I I, I was thinking as I read it that um, imagine the women who were in a a similar situation to you are sort of 10, 15 years ago and they're just getting to the stage where they realise that, you know, well, I don't actually need all those things that society tells us. And here's a woman that's unashamedly... You know, backing that up. Yeah. And uh, so, as I was reading it, I was thinking, this is going to be so helpful for a lot of um, people who, you know, just need that. It's okay. Yeah. It's okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
2: And I think when I was thirty, and throughout my thirties, and I do talk about this in a quiet kitchen, those were that was a tough decade because I think that's when the mm. the external pressure is perhaps greater to do. Hmm. The you know just it's just an assumption that people will end up with their life partner their soulmate their whatever hmm. and so I think when that um, fails to happen and then another year or another decade passes and you're a bit like oh dear <laughs> so I definitely wrote it for my thirty year old self too and any other thirty year olds or twenty year olds that are out there. Feeling as though it's some sort of personal failure on their behalf, it's Mm -hmm. it's neither a success nor a failure. I just don't even consider it in those sorts of terms, whether you end up with someone or don't end up with something. I I I just I, I just don't I just don't see it in those terms at all. Yeah.
0: No. When you um were talking about um the lack of a partner, but that your friendships and your family were the you know that group of people that um filled that void mm, for you mm. and I noticed that you dedicated the book to your parents yeah <laughs> t- t- tell me about your relationship with your parents as as the years have
2: gone by oh well probably very typically I reckon it gets better and better as you get older which seems such a shame you wonder yeah. about your stroppy teenage self and why you wasted those years thinking that that they weren't as good a parents as you wanted them to be. My parents have been amazing in every way, but I haven't always viewed that. So I've really Mm. matured into that and thinking uh, that they are just the perfect parents now. And I think probably most 50-year-olds, if you've had a, a, a functional, good, stable upbringing, which I have, my parents are still alive and they are even more open and soft than they ever have been. They've always been very open-minded. Yeah, I think very open-minded. I've got four sisters, so there's five of us and they are deliriously open to our choices. That doesn't mean they don't judge them or criticize them as we've gone on in life, but they are very open-minded people. They're not hippies, but by God, they're Liberal in their views, which has been really joyous. And now I have the most beautiful friendship with them. There is a little bit in the in the book about me going camper van Yes, I remember those videos. <laughs> it was honestly one of the <laughs> best holidays I've ever taken. I've never laughed so much. We just got the giggles so often about so many ridiculous things. I mean, we did just go for three nights. I'm not sure I could have handled it for too much longer. <laughs> I'm telling you, it was kind of hilarious, and to be in a confined space. But I really enjoy hanging out with them now. It's it's yeah, it, it's it's still interesting for me. They're still very curious people. They um, they do a lot. They probably do a lot more than I do. They're much more active in terms of their social engagements than I am. Uh, And I, yeah, enjoy going away on holiday with them now, which is great. But I think like any human being or like any child, one grows up and, you know, their parents bug them and they annoy them in all sorts of ways. And I just think as I've gotten older, I realise how incredibly tolerant they are of of us. I mean, what is that like bringing children up, for goodness (laughs) sake? I struggle myself in, you know, not giving too much advice to young people. I'm probably terrible at it, you know, because I you have to have people just live out their own free will in some way, yeah. Mm. You worked with your mum as well, I didn't did, you? I did, yes, and that was, oh my goodness, five years on New Zealand Women's Weekly. So when I became the editor, there, the food editor of New Zealand Women's Weekly, the suggestion came up that we do one page of mum's recipes. So we did, every single week we did a food shoot together. It involved um, us two and a photographer, Toddia, who also shot the book and has done such an exquisite job. And uh, mum would bring, you know, let's say we were doing tamarillos. I might do some cake and roast pork with them, whatever. And then she might do one of her favourite chutneys or something. And it was just great. And she loved it. So she would have gotten that job in her late 70s right through till she was sort of 81 or something, which was just a delight. I know. It was like a different chapter. (laughs) Oh, my God. By the way, I was intolerant and horrible to her often. And she will attest to that. Not that, you know, water off a duck's back for her, but I was... Often a little bit irritable. Oh mum, just do it like this, you know. Sort of thing. And Todd used to laugh at us in the kitchen. Her food was always much better than mine, according to him. (laughs) (laughs) She'd sort of make something and you know her view wasn't to make it look great I was always thinking about the, the, the photograph she was always thinking about well that just wasn't a consideration for her so she wouldn't put piles of frosting on things or whatever whatever and oh you don't need all of that and so <laughs> sometimes they looked a little bit ordinary and then we'd taste them and be like oh my god that's so amazing yeah so yeah it was a delight yeah
1: so you left the world, really, of, of that, that sort of the glamorous test kitchens, makeup, lights, cameras, action behind when you when you settled, decided that this is where you were going to be based here at, at Port Waikato, and it's a quiet kitchen that you have here. Yeah. You literally are
2: living your book. Yeah.
1: Do you? Do you ever find yourself hankering after those days? Never,
2: ever, ever. For our listeners, I'm shaking my head. Um, No, I never do. And in actual fact, when you talk about lights, camera, action, when we did World Kitchen, which was the TV show that I was involved with for, I think, about five years... You know, even that was fairly, it certainly wasn't ordinary, I got to travel all around the world, went to 40 different destinations, but we were just a fairly tight crew of four of us, four of us, yeah, four of us, and yes, there was makeup and dresses and things like that that I probably wouldn't use in my usual life, but I never felt like it was too flashy, it was an unscripted show, Um, it was very real, it was down to earth, we didn't really trick people with any of the things, I mean TV's always a little bit of trickery, there's no doubt about that, that's the nature of it, that's the magic of television, but we didn't deceive people in any huge way, so I was living that kind of life, I was travelling the way that I probably would travel as a usual human being anyway, Um, and then sort of deciding to settle down here... I guess COVID really made that real for me. And I realized that I really love not being sociable. So, you know, really I have angst over that. That I, and I'm not going to say, oh, I'm just one of those introverted extroverts. But it's sort of true. I find other human beings really irresistible. So I'm very curious about them. So you come to visit me today and this is delightful. And it's great to chat. Um, But... I, I don't tend to seek that out very often you know I, I'm i happy with my own company and certainly during lockdown I discovered that I could go th- about three weeks with really no no real contact with I mean texting and you know and then hmm. videos and you know all of hmm. that sort of thing but face to face stuff it, I can take it or leave it really and I, and I don't know why that is because as I say I enjoy people but it's probably something to do with the fact that it's an energy thing. I find my, I find it harder to contain myself around others because I'm enthusiastic about them as well. So therefore, perhaps I get left depleted. And I had many years of chronic, chronic um, fatigue, and so I'm really weary about my energy. Yeah, as I said to you both today, mm. I didn't bother to judge the house too much for you, <laughs> just because I knew they would take it out of me. I knew it wasn't important anymore. You know, it doesn't matter. And you
1: can see those signs coming
2: if you, you're aware of anything creeping in. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, yesterday I had a pretty big filming day yesterday. Just we we were making a little video. And so at the end of last night, it was like, God, I'm exhausted. That took a lot more out of me than I thought. Because I think what I realized with fatigue, and I think this is really great for women in their mid-age to realize, is we don't have as much as, well, other people would, my experience is I don't have as much energy but also in, in general there is you know we get stimulated in life and the stimulated or or stressed stresses aren't bad stresses are just things that your body is reacting to that might be coffee or chocolate or it might be a run or it might be a crowded room or a stadium whatever it is so I think when I always did all of these things like travel and stand up on stages I enjoy doing those things so I I really defended myself when people said, oh, you live quite a busy, stressful life because those things didn't feel stressful to me. But then with reading, I realized those are stressors for a human. Your body has to sort of wake up and be a bit on for that. You might enjoy it, but you got to be on for it. And so I suppose coming back down here, to quieten myself down there's very little other stimulus for me around here so people see me being busy but that's when I'm out there being busy the rest of the time I'm lying around on the couch I mean I got out of bed at 9 20 this morning ladies <laughs> <Good on you. laughs> because I had a big day yesterday yeah. and so I was just oh I'll just cruise in bed this morning and have a few cups of tea and do a little bit of work and this that and the other And I won't push it today you know because I've got to head away again later on today so yeah just being really mindful, much more mindful, rather than overriding those tiredness, that feeling of tiredness, just listening to it a little bit more, listening to our bodies. Mm.
0: So we're living here at the port. I mean, both Lisa and I have visited the port, you know, over the years for different reasons, but I've never stayed here, I've never lived here. And you talk about neighbors dropping things off and that sounds fantastic, but what's an average day for you like out here?
2: I think the way that I live my life, there's very few average days, so I, and I think there's something about routine that doesn't really do it for me, and so I I don't know what an average day, but, you know, so yesterday I had, you know, two other people in the house with with a few cameras and a bit of rigging, and that that's a normal day for me, but that doesn't happen every day, so it's like, you know, an average day, the day before was quite a quiet day for me, Monday I didn't do much, um... Or whatever day that was, actually, I don't know if it was money. But I had a little bit of excess food, so I dropped some over to my neighbour, who I knew her girlfriend was away. So I said, oh, well, I'll drop you over dinner if you like. So I did that. I'll go for a swim most days throughout the year. And I'll probably sit where we're sitting now and need to write some recipes out or create some recipes or reply to some emails. I think people in a small community, they will be there to help in a good community, which I, I believe this is if you're in need and you want some help no problem if you want to be left alone that's no problem either so people are quite respectful of people's business i think you know small communities have that that sort of criticism don't they leveled against them that everyone's in everyone's business i don't feel that yeah you don't feel that either either in your community it's nice
0: to know that if the shit hits the fan Someone will help you. Eh?
2: Absolutely, I do think you've got to ask or let people know. Yes, there's no doubt about that. Because, and I've become way better at saying yes when people offer me things. I've been shocking at that through my life. Absolutely nuts. In fact, I can still remember when I first moved here into this this very house. And I needed to get on the roof for something and I didn't have a ladder. Now I knew the old bu- old guy over the road, I nearly called him an old bugger, the old bugger over the road. I knew he'd have one and I knew my neighbours here would have one next door to me. But I was prepared instead to drive into Pukekoe to buy a ladder just through some level of self-consciousness that's left over from being a bloody teenager. Yeah. And I, to this day, I actually think I did go and buy the (laughs) letter, but I wouldn't do that now. I now ask people, you know, oh, I wonder if you could give me a hand with, and if people say, hey, do you want us to drop you dinner out or do you want some gravel or do you want, I'll say, I'll feel myself instantly want to say no and instead I go, that would be great. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so it's good. Yeah, that's a good lesson. That's been a big lesson for me.
1: Do you think that you can learn contentment then, has, or is it has it just come about while you've been here?
2: No, I do think you learn it. I, I think you learn it and I think it's a conscious process. Uh, I think we, perhaps, perhaps I just wanted to be content, but actually it's a lot of uh, very conscious choices and decisions and actions that you take. So, I think if you' if you know if one is waiting for contentment to sort of land in your lap, good luck with that yeah. I think if you're lucky if that does happen, and I'm sure it does for a percentage of people, but I don't think it I think it's a bit of work. What do you think yeah. to be contented? yeah, because we're always looking for the next hit we're mm. always you
1: talk. I love the way you talk in the book about um uh, you know stop waiting waiting for something to happen Mm because I think especially as women we're always waiting for the children to come home or waiting for the holiday to give us a break just and you know not being in the moment enough Mm
2: -hmm. and being in charge and realizing that what are we waiting for like we are the the we are the the masters the mistresses of our own lives and that's not to say that you are completely independent or isolated or not willing to have great connections with others but that ultimately it's up to you you know and i so i think it's a and and, and i think contentment and happiness and all of those things i don't think that that's one big thing though i think it's a natural human Um, um, sort of tendency to wait for the big thing that's going to make you happy the person the job the house the place to live the whatever and I don't think it's those things I now with the wisdom of age have realized that it's a whole lot of things it's like a little tapestry and every little stitch adds up to a great picture and I don't think and, and there's some acceptance that you might have some gaps in the tapestry too. Mm. For me that's a you know a partner that um, I don't think you I don't think you get everything in life. I, not that even that you want I just don't think you get everything. I have great work, I have gorgeous family, great friends. I have a lovely house that I'm satisfied with many people wouldn't be. I have you know relatively good health. You know that you we need, lot, to count, we, that? we need to count our blessings, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And I do remember once, not so long ago actually, um, complaining to my counsellor, darling Claire, She's been my counsellor for many, many years, and um, and I said to her one day, and I can't remember what it was in relation to, but I said something like, "Oh, I sort of really worry about what you know. I want to, I want to be really mindful of being financially able, you know, as a as a sixty-year-old woman, you know, that I'm sort of set up." And she just looked at me very wisely and said, well, you'd be so lucky to reach 60. <laughs> yes. And, you know, that was a real moment. Yes. I, mean, yeah, I think I was probably maybe 52 at the time or something. I was like, yeah, sweetie, you are right because there's plenty of people that don't make it to 60. Yeah. So may we be happy for every day that we have, as well as looking ahead and planning and all right. that kind of thing. Yeah, mm. Mm. Yeah, that's a great message, isn't, mm, it? Sometimes isn't it?
1: You've just got to sometimes just stop and smell the roses and be... Happy
2: with what you've got. What you've got. And be putting all the little things in place so that, as I say, you know, I I try and keep an eye on tiredness, I try and only have the connections that I really need in my life. Um, medication for mild depression really helps me, and I think that's a really big one for women in menopause. I really think that that's critical. I know people criticise doctors for over women in menopause. I didn't take any HRT myself. I really wish I had now, and maybe that might have taken care of some of those symptoms. But there's a lot of melancholy that starts to creep mm-hmm. in, so I'm satisfied with taking some medication for that now. Mm-hmm. I probably wasn't I probably went on and off it a little bit at the beginning thinking I didn't want to be on something forever but hey I'm on toothpaste forever Um, (laughs) so heck, you know Um, and then there's the exercise and having enough kind of joie de vivre in my life around me making plans to do something either on my own or with others yeah all of those things I think add up so it's not the one big thing Mm. yeah tell us more about the cold water swimming Well, uh, that came about because a friend of mine started doing it up in Mangafai and she said, oh, you should do it, it's great. She gave me a great piece of advice. She said, you just dress super warm and you get down to the beach and you take all of that off. Cause I don't wear a wetsuit. Not because I think that's cheating or whatever, but it's not the point. I don't, I live on a wild west coast beach, so I'm not in the water for long. I can't go swimming, you know, Mm. along the shore or whatever. Um, And she was right, wear warm clothes, take them off, go for a swim. So one day, about four years ago, at the end of summer, and I love to swim, I love water. I just didn't stop, you know, on that first sort of day when you really realise summer's over and it's like a little bit cold, I just decided to carry on. And I did that all through the lockdown, um, though that was slightly not allowed. But it was the one thing that I I was so vigilant with everything. I (laughs) wore masks. I didn't go to the supermarket forever, but I did... Sneak down for a daily swim. Well, you miles. weren't travelling far to the beach, wasn't, were you? I wasn't travelling far, but I think their point at the time, if we recall, was that if I needed saving, yeah. then I was gonna put other people in peril. Well, sometimes I went with it. I'm a qualified lifesaver, so I, I thought it probably wasn't gonna happen, but that's all we well <laughs> to say, isn't it? Um, we might want to edit this bit out, I don't know. But anyway, I started I started then and then now I just do it. And I don't say that I'm a daily swimmer because I think again that's an onerous rule that I would just feel like a failure. So I'm an all a year round swimmer and I'll just go down and I'll dip in and I'll dip out and it really turns my day around. And I think it's really good for mental health. They do say the science behind cold water swimming or cold water therapy, so that could be a cold shower, is that it completes what they call the cortisol adrenal cycle. So we've got these stress hormones and us all of us have got those kind of going through our bodies at the moment because we're needing to sort of awaken ourselves and those can tend to sort of stay in your body unless something sort of completes the cycle so that the fight or flight unless you finish the fight or the flight and then you can rest and we're just not very good these days at doing the antithesis of it which is to rest um so uh Cold water swimming does that. So, you know, I go in. I never want to go in. I always put it off. I think... And then, even then, I'm sort of taking my clothes off at the beach and in my togs. I'm thinking, oh, God. And then I come out and I'm just this super calm person. How long do you stay in for? (laughs) Nature's Valium. (laughs) Um, I don't stay in for too long. So there's all this theory about how long you should stay in for. I tend to go under three waves and I'm out of there Mm. so it's not very long at all it's too blooming cold I did just do a little swim with some people in Napier a few weeks ago and they were proper swimmers and they swim down to this buoy and back and I was you know they just do this gentle breaststroke and I was like, oh my god, there's no way I could stay in that long, but I probably could if I extended, you know, extended the time. I certainly stay in longer now than I used to, but it's great, and I strongly recommend both of you do it. Right,
1: Lisa. Well, you've yeah. done do it. it, but yeah. yeah, I'm the odd one out here, aren't I? But I'm a such a wuss about getting in anything cold. I'm oh, are uh, you? Yeah. yeah so yeah. it would be very painful. For yeah, me. it
2: probably would, be. and maybe it wouldn't work for you. I, I, I don't know. Yeah. Oh, I think nice. it would. Yeah. <laughs> oh, is that a challenge? <laughs> I think it's really important to understand our physiology um, because I do think that when we have stress and anxieties in our life that I believe COVID has certainly exacerbated in some people and it's revealed itself in others that perhaps it was underlying and now it's much more present I think it's really important for us to have some techniques to bring that level down consciously I I think cooking is one of those things you're working with your hands You know, and probably not if you've got screaming kids and, you know, I don't know what you do about that, but lock them up. Gang. gang. (laughs) Something masking tape. But, you know, as a mid-aged woman, maybe most people who've got kids, they are starting to be a bit more able. To me, it should be a very nice, relaxing time. Now, I cook for myself um, and by myself, so it's not stressful. But if you've got someone else who expects dinner at seven, and you're not quite ready or you want it at six or whatever, I think renegotiate those things in a, in a partnership because if you're the one cooking, you should be able to cook whenever you like. Mm. I even think middle age, mid-aged people, men and women, are quite different. So if you're in a partnership with the opposite sex, maybe renegotiate that in terms of Um, if you want to eat at six, you cook your dinner at six. I know a few couples that have started doing that and they love it because they eat different things and the women are sick of making the same sort of stuff because the guy doesn't like mushrooms or tomatoes or whatever, you know. It's like, get over it. You know, your life is short. I'm going to cook mushrooms and tomatoes for myself tonight, sweetie. (laughs) <laughs> you do as you will <laughs> yeah. oh that sounds liberating doesn't that? it sound liberating in itself direct. yeah, your yeah. directness is
1: wonderful <laughs> I don't know how well it'll go down in my house
2: <laughs> no maybe not but I do think that cooking can be the new sort of um, you know when we used to work with our hands literally ploughing fields or gardening all of that stuff takes you into your parasympathetic nervous system which is a nice calm place most of us sitting on computers all day or doing stressful jobs, we're in the antithesis of that. We're in the sympathetic nervous system. So our anxiety is just sitting there all day, all day if we're not even you know, realizing it. And we need to consciously do something to bring it out of there because we're not meditating, praying, working with our hands, gardening much anymore, which are the things that took us both in and out of that sort of mm. stress phase, mm. so I think you've got to be a bit more conscious about it you know, because life has changed the other one that I shared with you before was rubbing your forearms You know sorry, rubbing your upper arms you know, like giving yourself a sort of hug that physiologically shows it's extraordinary for bringing your stress levels down and yeah. that would work for anyone wouldn't it? Mm. anyone mean, if, at all you know, I was mm-hmm. thinking like
0: you say that you know, it's shown that COVID has um, increased anxiety in lots of people, mm. not just midlifers, but teenagers. And, you yeah. know, that could be something that could mm-hmm. be really helpful for, you know, some of the our kids.
2: Absolutely. Yeah, yeah I think so. Something they can
0: physically do, mm-hmm. mm. you know. And a lot of the physical stuff that you can do, you know, is going to help make you feel better.
2: It is. And, you know, you're not going to get a teenager or somebody in their 20s necessarily Saying, oh, well, I'll do five minutes of meditation or breathing. You know, they're yeah. racing a little bit too quickly. And the funny thing is, is when our adrenals are on, they 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 produce a sort of itchiness or or sort of, they, they want us to keep going, these tiny little glands. And so the thought of sitting still, it, it, it almost brings up that sort of frustration in you. I mean, mm. I'm really tuned into it because I had to be to get well. But rubbing your arms, you can do. Whereas if I, because it's sort of an action, whereas mm. just sitting, you know, I've got something in my body that is telling my body, which includes my mind, not to sit still. It's saying fight or flight, fight or flight. You know that, it's you know that that's, that's coursing through your, your your body. I had a, I, and I know this works because one day I was making this thing called a, um, a Balinese jamu, which is a drink. It's a turmeric drink. So you boil up some buds of. of of some little thumb sized bits of turmeric fresh turmeric and i put ginger in it and i put a little bit of coconut oil in it and i put a little bit of black pepper sometimes and whatever and i make a big thing and then i put it through a blender and so you get this gorgeous orange drink and it's really good for anti-inflammatory um conditions which is what i've got so it was great so i uh, there was one night when i'd had a massage here in the house i was all zenned out And it was about 7.30 and I thought, I'll just do that brew of Jammu. I really should have just gone to bed, but I'll just do that brew of Jammu. So, put it on, everything's lovely, I'm still in my little lovely little woo-woo land of having a massage, and um, and then I get a, a, a sort of glass jug, and I pour this scalding water that's got all this turmeric. Now, turmeric stains like bilio, doesn't it? Mm. So, I put that in this glass jug, and as it was sort of going, and I knew what was going to happen just a split second before it happened, which was that it exploded, oh, and we're shit. sitting here in my very pastel-coloured house, <laughs> and Jammu went everywhere. Ripping all down those cupboards, all over my floor, all over me, all over everything. And I was just like, oh my goodness, you know. And then I remembered the course that I'd been on. So I went, okay, right. These things happen to people, Nikki. This is the thing you have to say to yourself. May I be kind to myself. And then I rubbed my forearms. Now, for the next two hours, that's how long it took me to clean up, I was sort of giggling with happiness. Whereas, and when I put the gif on it to get it off, that turned bright pink, and it was just like, oh, not this, oh, no, you know. And it all came off, and it was fine. But I looked back on that and thought, wow, had I not remembered that little technique, I am telling you, that would have been two hours of, I'm going to use, I'm going to say it would have been extreme violent language towards myself mm-hmm. critic, the self, yeah. the critic oh you shouldn't have done it, now you've spoiled your massage you should have realised, you yeah. shouldn't have done it tonight, Did I, blah, blah, blah. I would have spent the whole time and then when the gif turned pink it would have been, oh and now look yeah. you know And that's just, imagine having someone standing there saying all of those things to you instead of someone saying, hey, let's be kind to you right now and let me give you a hug. And I know it works because I don't think I could have had a more graphic example of something where I needed to be kind to myself happening. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I yeah. oh,
1: love it. Absolutely love it. I'm going to hold that close. Good course <laughs> do, yeah. <laughs> um,
2: can you tell us a bit about your menopause journey? Because you do talk about it in the book. Don't yeah, they? sure. Um, so I went into menopause quite er- well, early-ish, although I claim that some of the stats are a bit skewed. So I was probably around 43 when I first had some hot flushes that I didn't really know were that, but I was finding myself getting hot and then, and then not. Around about age 40, I had gone to my GP and asked at the time if they could measure my hormonal levels because I'd I'd seen someone else close to me go through quite a gruelling menopause. And I thought, hmm, I want to be sort of ready for this. And, and I really got nothing from the doctor. They said to me... There's no way we can really measure that with any sense of accuracy, and I said, "Oh, really?" And they said, "No, we'd have to do it repeatedly." And I said, "But you know, if you women are trying to get pregnant, you can measure their hormones quite, you know, spe- you know, accurately, surely." Mm. Oh no! So I sort of went away and thought, "Okay, well, I, well, I was really put off by it." So at age 43, I got hot flushes, which were fine, and then I got the brain deadness. I got the nothing going on in my head. And I happened to be away filming in Brazil with World Kitchen. And I can still remember standing in front of camera, chatting to who, whoever was my on-screen sort of buddy at the time, eating something or chopping something or cooking something. And I really had nothing to say. Now, it was an unscripted show, but as you can tell, I wasn't sure of words. You know, I put something in my mouth. Oh, this is nice. This would remind me of this. Tell me more about this. So that the director was having to sort of prompt me and say... So Nikki what does that remind you of anything and I was I was like not really <laughs> you know I mean I literally like in my brain if I had been able to sort of scream in my brain to hurry myself along I would have but I just literally was it's like when you're really tired and you just I just ha- I, 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 I had nothing mm, mm. as I like to say um I felt like a guy I had nothing to say <laughs> you know how men sometimes when they're with women yeah. the woman and they're like they're just watching this happen like a tennis match, and they just don't know how to get in there. I honestly, for years, I felt like that. I would go out with my friends, and they would be chit chatting, and I was literally, I just, I just had nothing to contribute. It was really a terrible feeling for me. It was awful. So, um, so I had that. So that was a terrible, terrible symptom for me was the brain dip because with that went um, all my ambition. And I've always been very ambitious about myself. So I've always been fairly driven. I've always got a few projects on the way. I like to dream up ideas. Some of them happen, some of them don't. And there was just nothing. Did your confidence take a hit? Absolutely, Hmm. because I suddenly was like, who am I if not for my plans and my projects and my dreams? Who am I if I've got no sort of joyousness in my life around, you know, around others? And I just wanted to really hide away and I can really see why women leave their husbands or partners, I should say, and why their kids drive them crazy because I luckily could be mostly on my own, but it was tough. And so from that, as well as it being hormonal, melancholy really set in for me and it really, it really robbed me of my joy. And I I mean I was chronically fatigued at the time as well, but I think it was I think I can distinguish between the menopausal symptoms. I had the heart palpitations in the evening, I wasn't sleeping well. Um but the melancholy was tough. And and the other symptom I had was I, I, I remember catching sight of my naked body in the mirror one day. And I sort of flashed onto my mother's body and I was like, ah. And I sort of hated the look of myself. And that was the first time I'd ever had any sort of body hate. I mean, I'm not one, I'm not a perfectly shaped person, but I've never cared about any of that. And I sort of saw my body with its belly, it's, listen to that, you know, with my belly and I, and I, and I hated on it. And I just remember it gave me a real shock because I was like, whoa, whoa. you know gosh that's what people who live in something that they don't like is like Uh, it really shocked me I was like well we need to get away from that right now that needs to stop you know so so there was that and that didn't that didn't last or I as I say I was just so shocked and realized that can't be a happening thing um so look it was it was tough and I mean I'm 56 55 now 50 just had a birthday 56 And so, and I would say I still have the odd hot flush. I would say the brain deadness has gone, but I've calmed down a whole lot. So I don't do as much as I used to anyway. So I think I've readjusted that. Um, You know, when people refer to progesterone, particularly progesterone, I think is the the happy hormone. I think it's true. So I do supplement that now, obviously, with an antidepressant because that was too tough for me to be melancholic. Um, and you know people will say oh you, well, you can run and you can yoga and you look you can do a lot of things and I do do lots of those things but also you can take a pill which I mm. found quite helpful mm, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah so menopause was tough it was really really tough and I oh, can I just also talk about the shame mm. That really surprised me. So I was away with quite a young crew. They were the same crew. I'm um, great mates with them. We always were. We, we, we still are. But they were all about 10 years younger than me, maybe 13 years younger than me. So here I am in Brazil with a bunch of 30-somethings, early 30s, and I'm going through menopause. And that was the other thing that crept up on me was the sort of the shame of that. The, oh, I'm really going into this different phase in my life where I'm... No longer desire Not that I've ever been a flirty, desirable person, but no longer fertile. Yeah. All these things that I didn't expect because a I didn't really ever want kids, and and as I say, I'm not really a flirty person. But I really felt a bit used up, a bit like it's quite confronting. Isn't it, it was yeah. confronting, and I've ju- I'm just sort of remembering that I actually didn't put much of that in the book, but I can still remember being in in Brazil and thinking, how can I not tell these guys because I it's not that I was trying to be young like them but we were just a crew and then suddenly I felt like I was other I was another you know mm. and um so I remember confiding in the in the in my lovely director Martha and saying look I just need to let you know but but even then I downplayed it to her probably and mm. she's a really good friend and I was like oh it's just just noticed a few little things you know can't seem to think of anything to say um and a bit hot you know now and again but you know, even that I was playing it down, and and for a while I think I did really play that down. Yeah. I think
0: I think a lot of women have played it down. Yeah, you know, um, until very recently. I mean, I can remember talking to friends, and they really didn't want to talk about it. Didn't yeah. want to talk about it. well, because I was I was quite early going through it too. Um, I didn't feel like it was a conversation many of my friends wanted
2: to have. Mm-hmm. Did you, who, who else did you talk to about it? Um, so I spoke to people, but I think what happens, probably like childbirth, is you do forget quite quickly, and maybe that was part of putting a chapter in here, was really documenting it, because as soon as you've moved through it, it's a little bit hard to remember just how shitty it was. Mm. And I think a lot of menopause books. Until recently, Nikki Bazant's book is fantastic yes, for is. that, um, and uh, the other one is Nikki Pellegrino, two nikkies mm-hmm. and they talk very really because the books that I were well, I was picking up was about women writing in a funny way, some of them comedians and that, about menopause. And I wasn't finding it at all funny. I really wanted the deal. And I wanted people to listen and treat it properly because even, even my doctor and that, they didn't really, they didn't get it. These days I would say, if you're struggling with menopause, ask your doctor, have you been through menopause? What was it like for you? And if that person isn't sympathetic or has an experience, I wouldn't bother with them. I'd just find a different doctor. Because oh. you really need someone who's been through it, right? Absolutely. You know? yeah. yeah.
0: I, I remember uh, a doctor I had, and I've moved doctors now, but um,
2: I really thought
0: she was going to be really supportive. Mm-hmm. And every time I gave a symptom, she said, "Oh, well, HRT won't help with that, and it won't help with this." And and uh, wow. I and this isn't that long ago, and I was really surprised. So that is. You know, one of the main reasons that we started the podcast, wasn't it? To try and get some awareness and yeah. help out part there for other the conversation yeah. really.
1: And and because we didn't want our daughters growing up knowing nothing about it right. and being shameful or anything like that. And the conversation is so far advanced in some areas. In the UK
2: for instance it is, and we just hope that we can help contribute to it. Here as well. Great. So you find in the UK pe- people are much more open about it. There's much Absolutely. more allowance made. No. Yeah, yes. great. Yeah. The last yeah. two or three years. That's fantastic. And it I, is
0: starting here, I think. Like you say, with to those... your podcast and, and the all and those, and those books, yeah. 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 yeah.
2: And women who are just prepared to talk about it more rather than being so, sort of, yeah, feeling ashamed mm. of it for something. Because I think it places you in an age group. And though though I've never been bashful about my age, it annoys me how people always want to find out your age because it's a measuring stick of sorts. And I think as soon as you go through menopause, people go, oh, so you're over 40, but probably mostly they think you're 50. Yeah. And so there's all of that that goes on with it. And, I mean, I, I think there should be, you know that we have maternity leave, I honestly, and I'm not saying this is a joke, there ought to be, Menopause leave. Mm. Because if I'd had to turn up to the sorts of offices that I used to work in or in front of rooms full of people when I was a leadership trainer, I couldn't have done it. Or if I did, it would have crippled me. I was able to hide away with my computer writing restaurant reviews that used to take me, you know, a a day to write a, you know, fantastic little story about the restaurant. It was taking me a week to scratch out those 800 words. It was tough going because I didn't have any words in my head. Yeah. You know, so it was really tough. And I think we need to allow woman to have it because it's also when you're reaching the pinnacle of your career Absolutely. often it's a terrible collision isn't it yeah and then you're really starting to look older because once you lose those hormones your skin really drops mm. did you end up going on hrt I yes ask you? but only
0: only fairly recently okay and um the thing i'm really interested in and i think that it could help brain fog yeah I, I don't know as hrt really does and i think it needs to be hrt isn't the isn't the fix for absolutely no, everything it's yeah yeah but it certainly has helped my sleep and i think Great. that interrupted sleep you know if you can get a decent night's sleep a lot of things look a hell of
2: a lot better that's so true yeah
0: um but i think from the research i've done that testosterone cream or whatever however it comes right can help you know, clear your brain. Ah, interesting. It helps with okay. energy and libido. Uh, libido. yeah. Um, but but the the stories that I've heard about it being life changing for women who have been in that situation where they can't think yeah. straight. Yeah. Um. So, but it's so hard to get hold of, and I think that is desperately unfair.
2: It's crazy. So I did do a lot of the creams. I do remember doing a lot of the topical creams for a while and spent a lot of money on them. Yeah, well, that's the other thing, And I I did do the testosterone cream because, yes, my my levels of testosterone were something like, when I went and sort of said, God, I just feel devoid of any ambition or anything, and I did get that tested, and I was, let's say I was 0.2, and you ought to be at about 2%, and men are, say, 20%, so that just gives Mm. you an idea, and I was sort of 0.2 or 0.1. It was, like, non-existent. But how do I... I think women should get their... The, these hormones tested throughout their lives maybe at the same time of their monthly cycle because how do i know that mine wasn't always at point 2 yeah. i would have no idea you know but it changes all the time anyway and it anyway. Pro- probably changes it's all the time it's non exact yeah nowadays okay. they're
1: recommending that people you know that you don't take bloods to see if you're um, menopause or that right. you go on your symptoms alone okay so, interesting yeah but it's yeah, there's still so much work that needs to be done in this area. And given that 50 percent so. of the population have Hello? it, and it's not a disease. You Hello? know, it's a, a natural yeah. part of our lives. Yeah. You, would, um, you would, you expect would expect so, that. wouldn't you? Yeah. I yeah, did read some new research
0: the other day, and I think um, I can't see. I can't even remember where I read it, but <laughs> I definitely read it. It's true that the one one of the things that I was a bit worried about was HRT making me put on more weight. Okay. And uh, there has been a study, and apparently it doesn't right so I was thinking because to start with I I started and we both were Mm -hmm. we had that concern didn't we Yeah, yeah um
2: and but no, no.
0: So we don't have to worry about that. And
2: and I think well, I think menopause itself, you tend to gain some weight anyway. You do, you do, naturally oh, yes. two kilos a year, isn't it, or something like <laughs> that. I, uh, so did you change the way you ate? Not really. And I and I and I. I mean, I changed the way I, I, I eat because of various things. So for my ankylosing spondylitis, which is basically inflammation, I try and stay away from some gluten and tomatoes and a few things. Um, I probably am still eating like I used to eat and I probably don't need to if you know what I mean like I could probably eat less now but I love food I'm really concerned for the amount of now pressure that's coming on menopausal women to keep their shape so I there's so much on Instagram now there's a lot even in even in the in good books about menopause about how to stop the weight gain I, I really struggle with Going down that track for women, I feel like can we just have a break? Oh. Teenage women are told to be thin. Twenty-year-old woman, thirty-one, yeah. and now there's this big, wonderful market that's got lots of money and are concerned for their weight. And now, now they, we are being targeted. Uh, you know, yeah. in that respect. Uh, so what I wanted to make really clear, and I do in the book, is go and get your meds. Your your, your go and get a. Um, A a proper health check done. Yes, you do. You know, weight around the middle is not great for cardiovascular disease. We all know that. So go and get your cholesterol and everything sorted, and even get a plaque test, as even which I did, which measures the amount of build up in your arteries. It's yeah, it's a calcium score test, which is great, Um, and 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 check your diabetes. You know, check that that's not creeping up those indicators. Which again, mine aren't, and if those are fine. Mm -hmm. you know so my cholesterol is high so i now do take a little statin every day i tried to cut down on the butter and the animal fats but it just wasn't going to (laughs) happen so i decided to and you know and i also think talking about cold water swimming it's great getting in your togs regularly as a round woman it's fantastic or as any woman Mm. but it's great to just get used to that because i'm completely used to that now and i don't give a flying anything about the way I look. I mean, I was on seven sharp in my togs the other night. Um, admittedly, it was a little bit in the distance, which was a good thing. But you know, I, I I'm really keen not not to. You know, if you feel gross because you're because you're carrying too much weight, knock yourself out, do whatever you need to. But don't do it because oh, I'm fatter than I used to be. Of course you are. Yeah,
0: yeah. You know, yeah.
2: look at all of those old statues of Greek women. They've got this big belly and the narrower hips and the and the, you know and the, the fat tends to go from your thighs and all that. That's just part of it. The shape you are is the shape you are. Yeah. Eat eat good food. So yeah. I definitely don't eat a lot of processed food. I probably would if I was next door to McDonald's, I can tell you, but, you know, so I think, eat well, eat good ingredients, but don't be restricting your diet, and you are going to be dead one day. (laughs) You know, I mean, I just find it, but I'm lucky, I I haven't grown up doing a lot of dieting or anything like that, and I've thankfully not absorbed that from culture I've, from our our popular culture, I've deliberately not.
1: (laughs) Um, I know we're coming to the end of the podcast for this week, but you there's a story in this book that Sean and I both absolutely loved and it's the story of the Crete warm stone steps oh will you tell it for our listeners
2: okay so that is I and I was going to write a whole book on menopause called the warm stone steps because I can remember being in Crete and I've just got shivers now just thinking about that but I just remember these beautiful Not all of them around, they just are the shape that they are. But these older women sitting on warm stone steps outside their house or the local bakery where they were baking together, just seemingly resting and exchanging information and sharing ideas. Their responsibilities had sort of left them at that stage. I presume with kids or grandkids, maybe they were mothers, maybe they were grandmothers. And I just felt as though I wish that we could do a bit more of that in our lives of just resting rather than continuing to drive really hard, uh, which I think is a very Western culture kind of thing. Yeah. And we're a young country, so everyone's all busy, you know, anyway, trying to trying to grow our country. But I think it's nicer if you can think of the warm stone, stone steps and just st- settle there. Be happy in whatever shape or form you are and rest into your life doesn't mean giving up, it just means resting.
0: Amen <laughs> <I'm> to that. <laughs>
1: Even saying warm stone steps sounds lovely. Doesn't yeah. it? It doesn't just yeah. makes you just... feel
2: cosy. Mm. Yeah. Can I just, have we got time for one more quick anecdote? Yes, of course. When I was in Bali once, a similar thing, a similar revelation to me, I went to a sort of healer guy, as one does in Bali, and then he sat down to interpret things afterwards. I think he put laid his hands on me and said... How do you feel? And I think I burst into tears and said, oh, I just feel a bit unhappy. And I was just deeply melancholic with men. I was 49 at the time. Anyway, he sat down and he said, how old are you? And I said, 49. And he stabbed at my age with his pencil and he said, 49, 49. He said, you're 49. Body go down now. And I'm <laughs> like, oh, Balinese are wonderfully blunt, which is fantastic. Yeah, body go down. Time for mind to go up. And I went, oh, my God. And then he proceeded to sort of, you know, elaborate on that. And I just remember going away, kind of chuckling, kind of devastated, going, body go down at 49. (laughs) But I did. He made me realize that in our culture, a 49-year-old woman is still trying to look good, be good, act good, work good. Not so in Balinese culture. You know like there's times for everything and this is not the time to be looking taught and fit and all of that it's time to have your mind go up to spirit and to develop your spirituality because that is what will lead to contentment at this age mm-hmm. not all the body fixings that ain't gonna make you feel contented so yeah he was right body go down at 49 <laughs> Well, if you are an
1: example of someone who has found that contentment and that you certainly um, are very joyous and I feel quite, it's infectious to be around you. So thank you so much for sharing your stories with us on the podcast.
2: My pleasure. Thank you for having the podcast. It's so important. Mm
0: fantastic there are so many other things we could have talked to her about so we may have to go back for another visit Lisa yes because I'd really like to hear a bit more about this concept
1: of her dream dinners and comfort food because basically she's saying it is okay to have something that you've really enjoyed preparing and just makes you feel really good to eat it in a comforting sort of way and that appeals to me
0: (laughs) yeah fair enough too I mean there's lots of things that I think about that uh comforting but aren't necessarily going to make me feel bad about myself um like what well i think uh our friend penny down the road at the last place we lived at she used to have fish and fish finger fridays and that was um posh fish finger sandwiches and we'd all go down there and just um take what we had and had a lovely evening together not particularly healthy but you know could have been a lot worse lovely memories too yes yeah lovely memories
1: I don't know what my dream dinner would be. I think well I do actually, but I just know that I'll never be able to have it again because it's fish and parsley sauce that I used to have with my lovely mum.
0: Oh. And of course she's
1: not with us anymore and I don't I don't want to have it by myself.
0: That's understandable, but it's something it's a memory that you will treasure and uh you know you don't have to have it again you've always got that memory haven't you Mm, yeah i have yeah but i do love that idea and it would be really good to talk to her again
1: and weren't those gluten-free scones cheese scones that she made as lovely
0: yes and she has actually made one an instagram video of those cheese scones and how she made them so go and have a look because they were fantastic and i don't usually like gluten-free food but it was really good they were yummy and having them with the plum jam as well that sweet and savory thing i was going to say as a as a a um expat uk would you have ever had jam with a cheese scone no never but it no. was delicious Yeah, really good so yeah lovely
1: you say scone i do i say scone oh you're so posh is it i don't think <laughs> I, I, i've had this conversation many times with people and i don't know i don't i just think you don't say ston as in stone and i don't i don't know i, I guess
0: it's just what i was brought up yeah, with yeah i think it is it's what you're introduced to i suppose hmm now, we have got a, a new segment on the podcast, and it is our chance to have a bit of a rant. If we've got something to rant about, what's got your goat this week, Lisa? Well,
1: HRT shortages has got my goat this week. That's a hot
0: hot, hot hot, topic.
1: I know, and we've seen it all in the UK. I mean, it was, it was actually across the front pages in the UK newspapers recently, but... For me, it's just hit home now. I went to pick up um, my prescription the other day and was told by my local chemist that, um, sorry, they couldn't get my estradot, which is the oestrogen. And I said, what do you suggest I do? And they said, go and find a chemist that can get it for you. And I was lucky because I did find one quite quickly, but I know some people have had a right old job trying
0: to get them. And this should not be happening. No, it shouldn't be happening. And I, I think... Um the reaction from the pharmacists is a little bit scary too because once you're on something like this and you're finding it's helping you in lots of different ways to then suddenly not be able to get it is um really well it, it's it's terrible. Mm. So I I don't know how I mean I don't know how long the shortage is going to last for but um what I am finding is that I'm on a, the same sort of patch and then there's the, you, how do you say it? They say the you, progesterone, uh,
1: eutrogestin is
0: it? Yeah, something like that. Anyway, that's not funded. And that is what we've discovered just talking between ourselves is that that is quite a different cost depending on which chemist you go to to get your prescription, which I th- thought they were all the same. Yeah.
1: The chemist, I did get my uh, three-month chunk from was a hundred dollars and then the other day when i went to a new chemist because i was looking for the patches uh they gave all three months of the progesterone to me and it was only 68 dollars. so it does a,
0: pay to shop around it's a big difference isn't it mm-hmm. yeah and what i can't work out is if you've got to have one with the other how can one be subsidized and not the other it, it seems madness but yeah. i mean i'm happy to pay it but There must be lots of women who aren't, who can't afford that.
1: Yeah, because it's quite a sizable chunk $100 out of your purse, really, isn't it? Yeah. No, it's not on. And really, we need to be asking questions. So we would love to hear your experiences our dear listeners what are you finding are you having difficulty getting hold of your HRT what sort of prices are you paying for your progesterone you can either uh, send us a message via our Facebook group
0: or you can email us at midlifedownunder at gmail.com but I think we should actually put a post up on the on the Facebook group we
1: will do that and encourage all of you to uh, get involved in this conversation and uh, perhaps we can find someone to talk to and get some answers as to why it has to be like this
0: And that brings us to the end of this episode of Midlife Down Under. Thank you so much for listening. You can find us on Spotify,
1: Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts. Please subscribe and leave a review and then you'll get the next
0: episode as soon as it's released. Please share the podcast and our Facebook page, Midlife Down Under, with your friends wherever in the world you are. But in the meantime, bye Bye for for now.